Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special guest. Uh, her name is Amelia Townsend, the principal at Burda Principal Investments. Amelia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to see you again. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. And for, for the ones who don't know you yet, it would be great to, to get to know more uh, about your career and uh, about Burda Principal Investments as well, of course. Absolutely. So um, an introduction on me. So I've worked in consumer focused venture capital for around six years now uh, at Unilever Ventures, previously and now at Burda Principal Investments. And prior to this, I was working in mergers and acquisitions, strategy consulting for around four years. Um, and I also founded a nonprofit focused on women in business prior to that. Um, and perhaps to share a little bit more about Burda Principal Investments. So BPI is a global growth investor into scalable technology platforms. So BPI is really all about partnering with companies to help them to scale. Um, and there's a really strong platform expertise in our team, as well as a deep consumer expertise. So the team's invested and worked with companies like Etsy, Vinted, Skillshare, Zilingo. Um, and we have a truly global approach to scaling. So even our investment professionals are comprised around five offices around the world. So in London, um, Munich, Singapore, Berlin, and Boston. And um, what I think is quite unusual is that we all sit together every two weeks in our uh, global investment committee, albeit virtually. Awesome. Um, and <laughs> yeah, and um, we all share learnings from the different portfolio companies, thinking about the cross geographic perspectives. And I think that's really um, an exceptional uh, platform for scaling. And I think better understand scale from a number of different angles. So that's obviously geography, but also um, product and technology teams, strategy. Um, so I think it's a, a really fantastic platform. Um, and in the UK right now, so in London, where I am based, we have a strong focus on marketplaces, consumer fintech, consumer healthcare, and that's with companies selling B2B2C as well as directly to consumers and small businesses. Got it. That's that's amazing. That's an impressive track record and some of the companies that you had the opportunity to, to work with and to partner with in this uh, exciting scaling up journey. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> with, a, with a lot of victories, with a lot of learning points. And we always discuss here on the show free critical ingredients to scale. Uh, our audience is already familiar with that. So number one, radical focus. Number two, world-class um, leadership slash team, as I like to, to call it. And number three, uh, culture of execution. So let's let's start with my favorite topic. <laughs> the ones <laughs> I've been listening to the show for the last 160 plus episodes know that I'm completely obsessed about, about this one still. I, I love the other ones too, and especially the, the world-class team. Uh, but I saw so many patterns working well and working not so well in this point that I think this is kind of 
we know that what we are trying to do as uh, venture-backed companies and on these journeys, the odds are against us. So I'm, I'm a, a firm believer that at least let's do well what we can control. And there are some principles that we, we, we should not be disrupting because this is already proven. And one of those is to avoid uh, to be everything to everyone. So having a clear understanding of our core customers and being able to have a narrative that um, gets us closer to the vision is really important um, in our in our point. So the idea would be to, to, to leverage your experience in terms of how do we balance the focus and the scale in the sense that those kind of companies, they need to be to have a global mindset, but they can go global to everywhere at the same time. So, and when we you close kind of the geographies, for instance, or even in the industries, it depends on, on the different variables of, of focus, you are also uh, decreasing the avenues of growth. So it is very counterintuitive. So the mind will tell us if we open up the, the variables, we will have more chances to scale. Um, so this is the kind of the, the growth paradox, uh, and it's very contributive. So what is your experience with that in terms of balance, focus, and, f focus and scale? And feel free to double down on geographies, uh, because I know that you have a lot of insights there. Brilliant. It's such an interesting topic. Um, I'm glad we're thinking and talking about it. So, yeah, I mean, I think just overall, and maybe I can share some um, experiences and examples, Absolutely. but I think... Of course, focus and scale are inextricably linked. So um, one has to focus in the most important areas at the right time to actually scale successfully. Um, for example, so that you don't multiply out any key fixes you might already have in one geography to multiple geographies. Um, uh, so I think this is a delicate balance and a balance being between being ready to scale, but also not perfecting what you have too much so as to miss the market opportunity. So it's um, definitely a key question. Um, I think overall, um, in all areas of focus and scale, data really is your friend. So it helps you to understand what direction to take. Um, likely with the businesses we work with, it's around customer metrics and behavior, giving you signals um, alongside, of course, any of the key strategic theses you have on the market and I think one of the key initial areas to focus on for a company getting ready to scale is getting that data and insights engine in place and that could now be by using you know many of the third parties out there who can enable that um, but really building the capability there to have immediate data in a simple and accessible way and actually across the company um, and an example of a portfolio company who we've seen doing that really well from day one um, and scaling excellently is Bloom and Wild. So, um, and there are numerous others. So I think data and the data engine to start with is really important. Um, I think the other area of focus that we've seen to be important to drive scale is some of the key drivers in your product or tech. So for marketplaces, we see searchability as key. So for example, Etsy really focused on their search functionality, um, enabled to 
press the button on scale successfully across geographies, but then also to keep iterating this as they scaled and they saw really fantastic results from this approach. Um, mm -hmm. Then another area of focus we see at our stage is, and this, this relates to the point you mentioned earlier, I think really doubling down on um, your customer insights and maybe even a particular group of stakeholders um, to ensure that the proposition really resonates with them um, while you scale or before you scale. Um, and I think an interesting example of this that we've seen um, in marketplaces is a focus on the supply side as well as the demand side. So really understanding what does supply I side want because um, that basically really um, accelerates your scale, accelerates the flywheel. Um, an example of this, I think, would be Zilingo in our portfolio, who really listened to their mm -hmm. suppliers and built out additional propositions to create value there. Maybe just talking more generally, that could be things like, you know, working capital. It could be tech assistance with websites. It could be shipping and labels. It could be um, marketing volume support. So all sorts of um, areas where you can really focus for that supply side. Um, and then, I mean, monetization model, it's an obvious one, but I think nice. knowing that the monetization model you're scaling with is the one that helps you to scale most effectively, I think is important. So maybe testing out and iterating on a couple of different models while you scale or before you scale, I think is important. Um, and expanding geographically, I know we um, touched on that earlier. I think there's a few ways to do this. So again, going back to data, understanding the data in mm -hmm. the country that you're in, understanding the customer metrics in order to inform scale in another geography. There's always going to be differences, especially around acquisition and um, exact proposition, but does your product enable customers to repeat with you? Um, have you really kind of nailed that product market fit, I think is important um, before multiplying out across numerous geographies. Um, I think also what we've seen that's quite successful is testing in a market first, whether that's the one you actually want to scale into, whether that's one that's kind of similar to really take some learnings there and then enable more effective scaling when you really push on that in a key geography. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I mean, maybe linked to what we talked about earlier, really looking at your data to understand where you might have network effects that you can amplify, I think it's really important to scale. So focusing at quite a granular level on what your customers are doing. So for example, with Vinted, they noticed that their sellers were becoming buyers and that their buyers were becoming sellers. So this was a key insight for them to basically make sure the product reflected that switch um, back and forth in a you know customer effective way and also then to amplify that in their uh, marketing. So yeah, I think those were my initial thoughts on <laughs> all yeah, the different areas to focus on to enable scale. Is your absolutely amazing insights and, and food for thoughts and for reflection. To be frank, during our conversations, I'm always still writing down and thinking at the same time as, as we are speaking. And, uh, and something that I really enjoy about what you said, uh, and maybe we, we 
we could almost double down there, but it's just a reflection for, for our audience, uh, which is what you said about data. So sometimes I see in some of my conversations with, uh, with the CEOs and leadership teams that sometimes we would like to change the data. I mean, we don't want to recognize that there is some markets or geographies or segments that are working better than others. And we are so obsessed in making a specific customer segment or a specific geo to, to work better that we try to improve the metrics of that segment instead of doubling down on the ones that are already working. So it seems that we are attached to a certain assumption and we are not able to get out of the assumption, get perspective and just double down on what the market is telling us. We love this, we love the product, we want more of this, so please um, serve me. But at the same time, sometimes it's, it's complicated because sometimes we have the vision and the data is not yet there. So we still need to go through this iteration process that you're talking about until we find out a way that it could work or to realize that, yes, we had the wrong assumption. It will not work out um, and, and we need to pivot and, and change our, our strategy or our customer base. Any, any tips there about uh, how to understand when we need to be data-driven and very data-obsessed and, and get out of our assumptions? And, and when we need to be more vision oriented and believing that the data will follow the vision. It's a, it's a great thought and it's, um, it's definitely tough in practice. I mean, I think my initial thought would be thinking clearly about, okay, this is our strategic hypothesis. Um, what are the tests that we can run to inform us as to whether we still believe in this or we need to iterate on that. So I think at the outset being clear on, okay, these are the different signals that we would see which would positively enforce that point or these are the, some of the signals which would be important to us to take notice of to maybe negatively or positively iterate on that um, thesis. So. I think being clear about the tests and, and what the important metrics are um, is, is the way to go there. But it's, it's of course, an incredibly delicate balance um, and something, something to work through. It's curious because I, I like a lot an expression from Tony Robbins in a, in a different context, but also applies here, which is the, the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment, right? Yeah. So, so what we are kind of discussing, and, and especially the three principles that we discuss on the show, that if you do this, usually uh, things get better. So you have more probabilities of succeeding. It doesn't mean that you will succeed because we know the odds of being able to scale a business from uh, zero to 100 million uh, in, in revenues. But at the same time, there are some nuances that are different from company to company. So there is kind of a, an art, right? So it, it's great that, again, the science of achievement, if we follow the data, or at least if we know well the data that we have and our customer base, we have more chances of succeeding. But if we are not able also to follow the vision and, and the intuition, we also might um, fall in a trap, So which is always a very delicate uh, balance as you said to um, to follow so let's move into um, into the world or, or even 
doubling down a little bit more here because I like so much this topic. Sorry about that. It's it's also important to to discuss, and I think it's it is also interesting in, in the in the marketplace's perspective, um, from an, a, a scale up that comes for instance from Europe. So kind of uh, doubling down on expanding first in Europe versus the US and knowing that the US at, in, in principle, the scale would be a little bit easier language wise and, and in Europe we are having this discussion again and again and again. So it's part of the ecosystem, the differences of scaling in Europe and, and the US, that's not what we want to cover here. But, um, but what, what is your experience in, in terms of um, usually these options, of course, it depends on the company, but scaling through through Europe or scaling through the US. I was just listening yesterday, a case of the, in TechCrunch that I don't remember the name, that the entrepreneurs uh, just got an investment round and they were saying, we will double down in, in, in Europe because we have a very strong competitors in the US and it will be very difficult for them to crack uh, Europe. So what we want to do is to build exactly the same business model uh, across Europe and be in a good position to be the, the major player um, in Europe. So I know the question is, is very re redundant and very open, but uh, and what are your thoughts in terms of the US-Europe uh, kind of discussion that is always alive? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think, um... For us, thinking globally, it's about timing. So which market at which time? And um, we are really excited about companies with global ambitions who would like to um, win in their home market, expand to the US, expand to Europe, expand to Asia eventually. So um, we're interested in all markets. Um, I think it does come down to where are the customers who you can serve best at that time. So if it's the case that um, there are customers in America who would be um, very excited about the proposition and the there's a competitive window in the market then and, and that's more advanced as a competitive market or more um, intense or saturated in Europe, then maybe US first, then Europe. Um, if it's a case of uh, actually the um, there being a window or opening in Asia at the time with the consumers, that I think can also be an option. So I think it comes down to your market and your customers, in my view. Um, and then, um, as you mentioned, of course, US can be very, um, it's very large and it, and it's, as, as you say, the same language. So there can be some scale there, but um, if it's very saturated in terms of competitors, then what you gain in the kind of less complexity on um, that side of things, actually you may lose in, in like marketing spend. So I think it's just worth um, balancing those pieces. Um, and then I think, you know, just I think it depends by sector as well, because and maybe maybe an example would be healthcare, consumer healthcare, selling B two B to C. The structure of the market is very different in US right. versus Europe. Very different in each um, European mm -hmm. country. So 
which wherever your starting point is, it also depends um, where you think um, makes most sense to scale in terms of your distribution channel synergies, if you're B2B to C rather than um, fully B to C. So I think there's a number of considerations and um, right. and um, the number one thing for me would be um, serving the customers in your home market really, really well um, at whatever scale you decide that is um, so that that can inform you um, in other uh, geographies. Great. So moving into the, the second ingredient to, to scale, which is the world-class team slash leadership, we can also include culture um, here. We know one of the pains of any company that is growing very quickly is that they, they are a different company uh, every single quarter or at least every single year. So if we have this goal of doubling, tripling revenues uh, every year, we are always in an internal um, crisis. And we need to adapt also the design of the organizations and we need to be able to, to, to keep the DNA of the culture alive um, as you scale. So, what are some of your considerations and experiences uh, around, uh, you know, having the right people on the right seats, having the right culture in place, uh, and helping everyone to, to be on the same page and working together as a team and avoiding the siloed mentality that usually uh, starts when we get to a certain stage of growth? Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think team is completely central to every business and everything comes from team and team culture in my view um so maybe just starting with um one of the building blocks which would be team structure to your point around getting the right people in the right seats so we think that this has to be thought about very strategically so thinking through what the business needs now and then what it will need in the near future to ensure that you have the right organization ready to go when you need it and you're not lagging team um, in terms of what you need to achieve um, and I think that talking to some analogous company structures other founders can be really helpful um, we actually run organization design insights across our portfolio and we include external public company data as well to answer questions like um, what can the different structures look like which were most successful what can the different um, c-suites structures and roles look like um, what types of different um, cost structures are there how many people in tech how many people in marketing how many people in product at different stages um, and we we really um, think that's an important part of I guess where we invest when teams are looking to um, really use their growth equity to to scale and so we we're talking about that a lot um, then I think Aligned goals is probably one of the most important fundamental pieces. So basically that everyone in the team knows how they're contributing to the overall company goals and what KPIs they need to hit for the company to hit their overall KPIs so that they feel part of the overall purpose of the company versus working in a silo. And I think this is something which has to really filter through the organization. So I think the C-suite needs to be clear on what the goals and the KPIs are. Um, and I think 
it's it's so key that people in the organization know that when they hit a milestone what impact that has on the overall company and therefore how meaningful they are to that company um so i think this purposeful work um and goals are really key to scaling fast and effectively um in terms of culture each company has its own culture um i wouldn't be able to designate which is mm -hmm. the most effective um Overall, it has to be authentic. So, and I think it's important the team are empowered and again, are purposefully part of that um, company. I think in a time of remote working as we are now, um, predominantly remote working, um, I think there are a lot of tools which enable companies to do their job effectively, like Zoom and Teams and others. I think there is a risk of a missing like social cohesion or collaboration layer. So um, I'm, I'm quite excited about companies like kind of Unlock and Homework and Rune, which are providing like a SaaS um, tool around that social interaction. And I'd probably um, encourage companies to look into those types of propositions to ensure that um, everyone's feeling socially collect connected. I mean, there's a lot of stats around you know 80% of workers who are socially less connected have lower productivity so I think that's something that's key in the time that we are um, operating in at the moment um, and I think I mean we really believe in diversity as well team diversity so um, across our founders 53% of our capital allegation goes to women-led businesses for example um, and we believe in investment diversity for our own company culture. Um, so mm -hmm. we have 44% um, women and eight nationalities and nine different languages spoken across our team. So I think that's also something that's important. Well Absolutely, that's that's really uh, great insights. And I, I love the opportunity there about the, uh, and what you express it. It's, it's really interesting that it's, Sometimes we forget this data that it's proven that uh, being connected socially uh, increases productivity and that it's definitely, and I think that we have all been facing that during um, this year and learning uh, from, from that, that sometimes we feel much more productive maybe in the short term and at spaces because we are alone, but at the same time we feel more disconnected and kind of missing something. There is yeah. something missing that sometimes we don't know how to explain. And it's just sometimes even the moment to go to have a coffee with, with a colleague and an informal coffee, not a scheduled mm. <laughs> coffee. Exactly. Right? And uh, so let's let's we have you have already anticipated some of the very interesting stuff for the number three culture uh, of execution. But I think one of the favorite questions of um, every single founder, but even more from anyone in organization with um, very agile and very bold founders and executives that are able to, you know, to come to the business one day and say, look, we will change everything and we'll move into that direction. And maybe one week later, uh, the same happens. Um, so how, how do we overlap this feeling of being always changing uh, the route that can also lead uh, teams to burnout? Mm, yeah, it's a great, great question. Um, 
a couple of things come to mind. Um, I think one would be the company vision, whilst the how to get there can change. Um, so the exact methodology of getting there, the really kind of high level company mission, in my view, usually remains the same, at least for a sustained amount of time. And so that can be really a guiding light of certainty where there is less certainty on the kind of how. And um, so that really provides, I think, like a certainty of a why piece and back to that purposeful work. So if the route to get there changes, I think there's there's more understanding and motivation around, okay, yes, we need to change how we get there because we're still getting to that um, ultimate goal, which we all believe in. So I think that's one way of balancing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I think is um, just for, um, for example, CEOs, founders, um, CFOs, just to take the time and space to think in advance of what the different scenarios could be coming up. I know that's been exceptionally difficult, especially with um, COVID and everything there, but just thinking through what could the different scenarios be? What would that mean for the business? Um, So that um, there's a sense of being kind of one step ahead as things change and um, in a time where there may be less time to just take a quick step back and think about that, there's already been a bit of thinking around that. I, I love it. <laughs> love it. Love it. I really, it's it's def- when there is uncertainty, the role of the leader is to create confidence, trust, and belief, mm. hope, and certainty. And you can always create certainty about the why. So I love the way you articulated it. And, and telling to companies, especially scale-ups, we need to keep a child and we need to keep open to new ways of getting to to the vision and to accomplish our mission uh, as well. So, and uh, if there is a better way, why not? Why do we need to be stuck to, mm. to the same plan that we fought since the beginning? Because anyway, we are still moving into the direction of fulfilling the mission and, and the vision of, um, of the company and of course, of the team. That's that's yeah. great insight. Uh, Amelia, we are getting to the end of the show and uh, I feel that we would have at least another hour of conversation <laughs> to to our audience, so, but that's a good excuse to have you back uh, soon. Uh, and, and now we go into our favorite question, which is if you would have the opportunity to meet yourself uh, some years ago, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? It's a great question. I mean, that's, we could spend a long time on this. Um, I'm still, of course, learning and reflecting all the time, um, but m- maybe a few pieces um, that, that I pulled out. So I think, especially you know, the really younger self, getting yourself in the vicinity of people you can learn from, the most interesting, smartest, inspiring people you can, is important because you are learning from them every day um if i think about my first days in um, venture capital i would tell myself that successful companies are so much about founders running those companies and the teams that come from that and you cannot underestimate that it's definitely um something i would emphasize um i think 
it's really obvious, but emphasizing that companies go through highs and lows and highs and lows and they're supporting the management teams through that and highlighting to them maybe other examples where people have got through those times um, is a key role um, that you can a, a key gift that you can give to companies that you're working with having seen you know a portfolio of companies um, and yeah just really supporting through that I think also I would say speaking up and sharing your thoughts whatever angle or level you are um, there's a reason you're in a room uh, to have a conversation and everyone has something interesting to say as long as it's coming from an authentic place um, I think that is something that I would also share that uh, an amazing uh, reflection. Uh, Emilia, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for making the time to share your experience with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. And to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier, scaling your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. See you soon and keep scaling. Mm -hmm.